calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 8 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 16, Diurnia Orbital, December 21, 2372. We met Kirsten at the offices of Diurnia Salvage and Transport on the O5 deck. She and her shadow waited in the lobby, talking to the clerk behind the desk. Yes, I know, Jacques, but Ames is still a couple of weeks out. Flash him the message traffic on the next cycle, but there's really not much he can do until he gets here. Yes, Miss Kingsley. Jacques did not look pleased, but he went back to his duty, and Kirsten turned to me. Thanks for coming, Ishmael. Good to see you again, Miss Arione. She shook hands all around. Miss Arione seemed a little surprised by the contact, but nodded. Thanks for inviting me. This is Adrian. He's my official shadow. Adrian, Captain Wong, and Able Spacer Stacy Arione. Adrian shot Kirsten the kind of glare that I recognized, but he smiled politely enough at me and shook my hand. He nodded briefly to Miss Arione, who nodded back. I thought Kirsten suppressed a sigh, but I couldn't be sure. Kirsten headed for the door, but Adrian beat her to it, going through first and blocking it briefly with his body before exiting and holding it open for her. Maybe we should order in, Kirsten muttered with a frown, but followed him out. He led us around the promenade a few doors to a discreet doorway with just a simple sign which read, The Bakery. Outside there wasn't much to recommend the place, but inside the smell of fresh breads, yeast, and frosting was heavenly. The hostess met us with a smile and said, Four? Kirsten shook her head. Not today, Millie. Can we get one of the booths for two and a couple of bowls of water for the dogs? Millie's eyes crinkled at the corners. Mr. Alvarez, would you like your usual seat by the door? Adrian nodded and helped himself to a chair at a plain round table just inside the dining room. Thank you, Millie, Kirsten said. Miss Arione, would you like to keep Adrian company? Miss Arione looked at me, and when I nodded, she took the seat to the side where she could see the door, the dining room, and over Adrian's shoulder. Millie smiled and chirped, What a lovely couple, before leading the way to a small booth in the back side of the restaurant. Is this okay, Miss Kingsley? Perfect, Millie, thank you. The soup special is great today, and we fresh muffins. Gracie will be your server. She'll be right along. With that, Millie bustled back to the door, beaming at the clientele and generally being pleasant. We settled at opposite sides of the table, and Kirsten grinned at me before holding her menu up in front of her face, as if examining it closely. From behind the menu, I heard, He reads lips. It drives me crazy. I stifled a chuckle and turned my face toward the wall, examining the seam in the wallpaper. 
I thought it was just Ms. Arione that was taking things a little too seriously. No, I'm afraid it's a function of the job. Kurt drove Jeff mad for Stanier's. I think he got a great deal of pleasure out of it. She dropped the menu to look at me. He felt horrible when he wasn't there when Jeff needed him. I think that's why Adrian is being so pissy these days. She shrugged. He's always been a bit more paranoid than I think is exactly necessary. But it's been worse since Jeff died. Gracie took our orders for soup and muffins and disappeared back into the kitchen, only to reemerge with a pot of coffee and two mugs. Sorry, Miss Kingsley, I thought Millie had taken care of your coffee. She plunked the mugs down and filled them both with a rich, dark brew. She slipped one in front of each of us, and I took an appreciative sip. Moscow morning, I asked. Very impressive, sir. You know your beans. She giggled and went back into the kitchen. That was good, Kirsten said with a bit of admiration in her voice. You've been here before. I bought a few kilos of this for the ship a while back. It comes from a boutique place up on six or seven, I think. City Light is the name. He roasts and blends it on the premises. The soup, a thick chowder, came with an oversized muffin, and taken together it made a very satisfying lunch. We were halfway through the bowls when Kirsten got down to business. I've been thinking about the Jezebel and talking it over with some of our fleet maintenance people. They all agree that Greta was right, and I should put a caretaker aboard. I agree with her. Ships need caring for. Just having somebody who can call for help would make sure things don't degrade too far before you can sell it. Kirsten took another spoonful of soup before continuing. I messaged Ames. He agrees. So we're going to fund a skeleton crew until we can get it refurbished and put on the block. Makes sense. I nodded my approval. Want the job? She asked almost before I'd finished speaking. I'd have offered last night, but I was waiting for authorization from Ames. He's still in transit. You mean go live aboard? Sort of. I was actually hoping you'd supervise the refurbishment. You know ships and crews, and you need a job for another week or so, she grinned, although I suspect that's not really much of an issue. Well, I'm not really cut out for hotel living. What, you don't like the LaGrange? She had a very amused expression on her face. That's okay, I guess. It's not exactly home, if you know what I mean. She laughed, and I decided I liked the laugh. And that reminds me, how did you know I'd end up there? She finished her soup with a scrape. I didn't. I just left reservations at all the hotels. There are only four, and we have corporate accounts with all of them. She smiled at me. Good choice, by the way. Thanks. I figured if I was starting a company, I wanted to be in the right place. Are you? She asked. Starting a company, I mean. Well, that's the idea, right? Go indie, train your CO, see the galaxy? She laughed. Something like that. What will you call it? I don't know yet. Things are moving a bit quickly. This time last week, I was on approach to Diurnia. She sighed and shook her head, counting backwards on her fingers. Mercy. So much has happened in a week. We finished up the soup and muffins, declined a refill on coffee, and Kirsten thumbed the tab. Rising, I followed her back across the restaurant. So you'll take it? she asked, turning her head to speak to me over her shoulder. Terms? Standard contracts for Captain and Abel Spacer. Shares will be zip, because you'll be docked, but it's better than nothing and free room and board. We met up with Adrian and Miss Arione at the door, let them play the bodyguard game while we chatted on the way back. You know, you could contract the refurbishing, but that's going to cost a lot. I put out an RFP for the cleanup and refit to the various yards, and the bids have not been pretty. Most of what has to happen is not terribly specialized. Cleaning, fixing the small broken bits like that console on the lock. What about the coil replacement and the sail generators that Greta recommended? That's actually a standard maintenance procedure. All you need are the parts and a qualified engineering first officer to oversee the calibration. We stopped outside of the office and she looked up at me. You've got my attention. 
Give me the Jezebel as acting captain. I'll take Miss Arione here, hire a couple of wipers, maybe another spacer. In a week or so, we can probably put most of that ship back together. After that, you'll be able to get a good price for it on the market, and all it'll cost you is parts and labor. And food, air, water, Kirsten pointed out. That's the standard operational expenses. You'd pay that if the ship were sailing, and it's probably less than the profit margin the yard would need. You're jacking the price up on the ship you're hoping to buy, you know, she said it with a grin. I shook my head. I don't think so. I held up my hand and ticked off the points on my fingers. First, you won't have as much refurb cost to cover. Second, the ship won't be in any better or worse condition if we do the work in-house, so having a space-worthy vessel works out the same in either case. Third, if I'm doing the work, I'll actually have an advantage if I do wind up being able to swing the deal because I'll know the ship inside and out. We could just put it out there as is and call it good. There was an odd gleam in her eye. You'd have to take the rock-bottom price. That boat doesn't present well to buyers. Yes. She said the one word with an odd gleam in her eye. We'd have to take rock-bottom price, wouldn't we? The look on her face made me pause. How rock-bottom are you thinking? She gave a coy shrug. I need to get a formal appraisal on it, which I should have by close of business today. After that, we'll see. I want it gone. That ship's a wart on our bottom line, and it's never earned its keep. Ames is arguing that it's a valuable resource for the company, and we need to get as much for it as we can. I'm seeing it as a drain on our balance sheet, and we need to get rid of it. We stood there for a few heartbeats while I processed what she said. Yes, I said carefully. Miss Arione and I would be happy to move aboard and be caretakers until you can dispose of the ship. She smiled. I thought you might. When does Ames get back? I asked, keeping my voice as steady as I could. He's coming in on the Ellis. I'd have to double-check the flight plans, but I believe he's still at least two weeks out, maybe three. How soon would you be able to sell the ship? I'd sell it tomorrow if I had a buyer. Doesn't he need to approve? I'm the head of fleet ops. In theory, he'd have to sign off, but he's not here, and if I got a viable contract, I'd sign it in a heartbeat and get that ship out of my fleet. I'd need to get the chairman of the board to sign. Who's chairman of the board? I racked my brain, trying to remember and wishing I'd paid more attention to the politics of the company I'd spent so many stan years working for. William Simpson, I guessed. She shook her head. Oh, dear heavens, no. That would be a terrible conflict of interest. He's a financial advisor, and his firm does our outside audit. Her tablet bipped, and she pulled it out of a pocket. She looked at the screen and sighed. Adrian, he stopped looking out and cocked his ear in her direction. We need to get over to CPJCT offices and clear up some paperwork on the memorial service. He nodded and stepped forward to lead as soon as she was ready to follow. Kirsten looked back at me. I'll have the keys forwarded to your hotel. Can you be ready to go aboard, say, tomorrow morning? Of course. Thank you, Ishmael. Adrian, go. She waved a hand and they headed off in the direction of the lift, leaving Miss Arione and me standing in the promenade outside the offices. Skipper, that was a long chat, and did I hear we have a job? It was, Miss Arione, and we do. I pulled my tablet from the inner pocket of my jacket and pulled up the last corporate report from Diurnia Salvage and Transport. As a privately held company, they weren't required to publish much, but the members of the board of directors had to be a matter of public record. I grinned when I saw the name listed. Very clever, I muttered. Sar? Uh, nothing, Miss Arione. Uh, we need to get to the offices of Locke, Simpson, and Green. You know where it is, Skipper. I pulled up the message from William Simpson. Deck four, five spinward. She nodded. Okay, Skipper, are you ready? Lay on, Macduff. She stopped and turned to me in confusion. Sar? Uh, nothing, Miss Arione. Famous line from an old, old play. We can go. 
She gave me one of those exasperated looks, but did a pretty credible impersonation of Adrian Alvarez leading me to the lift. Chapter 17. Diurnia Orbital, December 21, 2372. Just before 1400, Ms. Arioni and I arrived at the offices of Larks, Simpson, and Green. Orbital admin occupied Deck 4, and I wondered how the firm managed to get commercial space there. Most of the financial services were either much higher or down on the 06-07 range with ship services. Given William Simpson's age, I suspected that the company might have been one of the original settlers. When we pushed through the door, rather than the hushed, carpeted, and wood-paneled space I expected, we stepped into Bedlam. A collection of cubicles took up the center of the office, and I could see office doors around the perimeter. The men and women in the cubes created the noise. I could hear them talking loudly, but apparently not to each other. Periodically, one would stand up and shout something that I couldn't quite make out. It was undoubtedly some kind of jargon code, because after two or three shouts, another person would stand, point at the shouter, and yell, Done! And they'd both sit back down. As we watched, sometimes two or three people would be standing and shouting at once. A receptionist sat at an almost empty desk just inside the door and seemed to ignore the waves of sound coming from behind him. He looked from Miss Arioni to me and focused his attention on my face. Can I help you, sir? I'm Ishmael Wong to see William Simpson. I felt like I had to shout, but it still wasn't quite enough. In spite of my misgivings, the receptionist nodded. He's expecting you, Captain. He pressed a button on his desk and pointed to where a green light blinked above the door on the far side of the office. His office has the green light, Captain. I turned to Miss Arioni. You can wait on the promenade if you like. I put my head close to her ear so she could hear me. I thought she was going to make an objection. She looked at the crowd of strangers in the room, then looked at me with that dogged expression she gets. When she saw my frown, she nodded and beat a hasty retreat while I made my way around the shouting match to the door with the light. I pushed through it and closed it quickly behind me. The sound pressure dropped off dramatically, but it didn't actually cease. Dreadful racket, isn't it? Mr. Simpson stood beside a smallish desk with a view of space outside the orbital. The lighting was subdued, so the view wasn't obscured by reflections, and it was spectacular. Just a few meters down, I could see ships docked at the center of the orbital, and the panorama effect rivaled the view from space on final approach to dock. He saw me transfixed by the view and laughed a dry, raspy laugh. And that's why I put up with it, that view. We admired it for a moment before he took me by the elbow and escorted me to a very comfortable chair where we could sit and watch the ships. He didn't look at me, but just kept gazing out the port when he spoke. So how can I help you, Captain? Tell me how to get started, sir. What do you want to do? He angled his head toward me, but did not actually turn it. I know what Kirsten has told me, and I know what you said last night at dinner, but tell me in one sentence, what do you want to do? The question was breathtaking. It was the one I'd struggled with for as long as I could remember, and it always got tangled in what other people wanted and what I needed to do and making a living and all the rest. In that moment, in that space, sitting beside William Simpson, I said the first thing that came to mind. I want to make a life out there. I saw him nod out of the corner of my eye. After a few heartbeats, he asked another question. Aren't you doing that now? I've started. But I feel like I'm building somebody else's life, and I want to build my own. Okay, who's stopping you? We sat there while I contemplated the question. I wasn't comforted by the knowledge that I'd faced that question before and always came up with the same answer. Being forty stan years old didn't make it any easier to admit than when I was fourteen. Nobody really, sir. Good answer, my boy. You'd be surprised by how many people say me to that question. 
I'd like to think that the things I stop myself from doing are those things that aren't going to help me build a life I want to live. Everything else is just finding a way to get where I want to be. What about a family? Well, I had a wife. It didn't work. I think I'd like another someday, but I need to find a way to take her with me out there. Lots of people do, Ishmael. What's the problem? How do you deal with the power differential, sir? He turned to look at me then. Power differential? Of course. As captain of the ship, I'm responsible for making the decisions. How can I have a relationship with somebody when I have that kind of responsibility over them? He looked at me, and his face crinkled in amusement before he finally broke into his raspy, dry laugh again. When he caught his breath, he reached over and patted my forearm where it lay on the arm of the chair between us. Dear chap, your problem isn't power. I could feel my eyebrows coming together as I tried to figure out what he was talking about. It's selection. I'm not sure I understand, sir. He chuckled a little and turned to look back out into space. Out there are thousands upon thousands, millions, billions even, of people who live and work and fight and make up. You're a starship captain, you're not God. You must know couples who live and work together, solar clipper people even. Well, yes, sir, I do. How do you think they do it, Ishmael? One of them puts on the captain's hat and says, Jump, frog? He glanced over at me and snorted before turning back to the view. I bet you don't run your ship that way now. What makes you think you'd do it if you were married to your cargo master or your engineer? Well, the chain of command, sir. They have their jobs, and I trust them to do it. I have mine, and they trust me to do that. They advise me, I listen, and usually do what they want. Sometimes I have to argue them around a bit, but it usually works out. Sounds like a description of marriage to me, Ishmael. What's the issue? If I have to pull rank now, I don't destroy my marriage. He glanced sideways at me. You think on that a bit, Captain. We sat there for as much as two ticks. He seemed in no hurry to move me along, and I sat there trying to figure out what the old bugger was trying to tell me. I was pretty sure it was something important. You've got a couple of more immediate problems, Ishmael, he said at last. First, well, you're about to come into a great deal of money. Second, you think you want to go into business for yourself. He turned his face to me and observed, If you go into business for yourself, you'll solve the first problem handily, because once you head down that road, no amount of money will help you. I'm getting that impression, sir. He smiled at me and patted my arm again. You've also got a third problem that's related to both of the first two, and that's Christine Maloney. He sighed and shook his head, looking back out into the void. She's not really your problem. You don't need to be Jeff Maloney's mule on this load, but accepting it might get you a leg up on the other two issues. He sighed and smiled. Jeff was a master at that, getting people to do what he wanted them to do because it was the fastest way for them to get what they wanted themselves. Sometimes it even worked out. He paused for a moment. I'm going to miss that boy. I thought he was going to subside into contemplation again, but he surprised me by turning to me suddenly and leaning half out of his chair so he could face me almost directly. You've got DST by the short and curlies. Kirsten knows it even though that fool Jarvis thinks he knows better. They've a ship they'll sell you, and you've got a windfall, the likes of which we haven't seen around here since Virgil Murphy struck gold in the belt. But I can't afford the ship, sir. I talked to Mr. Larks, and he showed me the problems with that. He sat back on his haunches and looked at me, head cocked to one side. Dick Larks? He made a pfft sound. That boy wouldn't know a decent deal if it bit him on his backside. If it doesn't come with a balance sheet, he's lost. We should never have taken him on board, let alone made him lead partner. He keeps thinking we invest in assets. Silly git. He shook his head. No, he's right about one thing. You probably can't get a loan to buy the ship. Banks, collateral payments. Gah, you'd sink from the red tape. You don't need a loan, Ishmael. You need capital. He could see the confusion on my face and asked, How much money do you need to go, Indy, do you think? 
Enough to get a ship and have operating funds. And how much is that? My best estimate is around half a billion. Oh, my stars, he exclaimed. Not nearly enough, or way too much, depending. Look, Ishmael, you don't need to own a ship to be in India. You only need to have a ship to sail around in. How does that work? My boy, did you ever buy an apartment? Well, no, sir, you have to lease. His eyebrows went up in a do-you-get-it-now expression. I can lease a ship? He settled back into his seat and gazed out at the panorama in front of us. About a third of those ships out there are leased. Almost all the big lines lease some ships. It's a good way to get access to capacity without capital investment. Short-term expenses are a bit stiffer because the lesser has to make a profit, and that's your penalty, but it's done all the time. I sat back in my own seat and looked out. You need something more than a ship. A ship's the least of your problems, Ishmael, he said after a few ticks. What's that, sir? You need a plan. I turned my head to look at him, and he looked back. That's why I asked you what you wanted to do, and we started all the psychological claptrap. You really haven't a clue, my boy, but I'd have been surprised if you did. He chuckled at the look on my face. He waved a hand at the window. Look out there. Take a good look. Get a grip on how many ships there are. How many of them are the small, fast packets that you're thinking about running? I frowned and did as he said. When I started looking, I began to realize what he meant. There were thousands of metric kilotons of cargo capacity floating in the darkness. What's going to make customers for you, Ishmael? And why are they going to ship with you instead of with him? He pointed a finger at an Unwin 8 just coasting past the view about two kilometers out. Or her. He pointed at a tractor under tow with Shulman livery. Those people have been out there earning a reputation for decades. You think you can just waltz in, grab a cargo, and poof, you're an indie? His words hit home, and he subsided back into his seat to let me stew on it a bit. Thank you, Mr. Simpson, I said at last. Oh, don't thank me yet, Ishmael. There was a glint of humor in his voice. After this, I'm not sure I can handle much more, sir. His raspy laugh bubbled out again. Well, you haven't seen my bill yet, either, my boy. Patience. He laughed some more, and I found myself laughing along with him, although I wasn't sure what was funny. Eventually we stopped laughing, except for the odd chuckle from one or the other of us. He reached over and rested his hand on my forearm again, but left it resting there. His eyes focused out into space, but he patted my arm with each point. This is where I earn my fee, Ishmael. Pat. When you leave here, go down around to the main admin office on deck four. Register the name of your company. Get your tax ID number. You'll have to pay a filing fee. It's cheap. Pat. When you leave there, go down to the O4 deck and see the nice people at Spacer's Bank. Open a commercial account. Deposit a thousand there for incidentals and fees. Don't buy any of the extra services. That's what we're here for. Pat. From there, go next door to see Patty Cantrell at Presto Personnel Services. Get your payroll contract and all that stuff through her. She's expecting you. Pat. Do all that and you're an indie. He turned his face toward me. You and about a million other people. It's one of the problems. It's too easy. Anybody can do it. You've got some advantages. You've got a master's license. You've got experience. You've got DST in a position where you can get a ship for almost nothing if you can deal. He stopped then and looked at me shrewdly. Now... Take out your tablet and write all that down, because otherwise you'll forget. I grinned and did as he said, reading it back as I did so. Good, he said with a final pat. We've got about two weeks or so before Jarvis gets back, but Kirsten knows the tap dancing has to stop soon. Uh, do you have any questions? Uh, well, sir, this is all good, and I can see where we're going today, but where do I get the price of a ship? How do I raise the capital? I need to get this going if I don't take out a loan. He leaned back to look at me. Oh, the hardest part of that is already done. We just need a company to tie it to. Tie what to, sir? Why, your stock offering, and the bonds, of course. 
He rasped his laugh again. Ishmael, how do you think the other companies do it? They can't afford the level of debt that would be required to get one of these ships out of dry dock, let alone fueled and filled with cargo. We'll set you up with a private stock offering in the next few days. I need to file some paperwork. You need to file some paperwork. You'll need to put together a board of directors, and they'll need to file some paperwork. He shrugged. It's boring, but sure. But don't we need to find people to buy the stock? Oh, you already sold the stock, Ishmael. We just need to figure out who gets what pieces. He reached over and patted me one last time. Now, go. Roll up your share of the red tape so we can do ours. When you get done, send me all your account numbers so we can start your tax processing. Don't send me passwords or access codes. I don't need that trouble. Just the public numbers so we know where to put the credits when they come in. Now, get out of here. Scoot. Spread your wings and fly. I thanked him again and let myself out, leaving him sitting there staring out into the dark. Miserioni waited just outside, looking about as subtle as a black eye. Not many places to blend in here, Miserioni. No, but the upside is there's not much place for risks to hide either. She roused herself a bit, stretching her arms above her head for a moment, but never stopping the scan. Where are we going next, Skipper? Admin office, then down to 04. We've got some red tape to deal with. Why doesn't that surprise me, sir? I have a problem, though. I need to name the company. You haven't named it yet. I need something classic. Has to be flexible. Something maybe inspiring. Well, let's walk that way, sir. Maybe something will come to you along the way. I hope so, Miserioni. Did you get the money you needed, by the way, sir? I hope so, Miss Arione, I repeated. She glanced at me for a heartbeat. You hope so, sir. You were in there a long time. What did he say? A lot of things. We need a plan, something that separates us from the other carriers. That's sort of a given, isn't it, Skipper? It should have been, Miss Arione, but I really thought I'd have more time to think about this. Like the name, sir? Yes, Miss Arione. We were almost at the entrance to the main admin office, and I still hadn't come up with a name. Well, did he give you any hints about the name, sir? Not really. We spent the first few ticks talking about the normal who's-stopping-you kind of stuff. He wasn't really interested in it, but wanted to see if I had a clue, which I don't, apparently. Sir, I have to agree with him about most things, but I've seen you with the crew. I have no idea what it was really like before you took over, because all I know is what I heard on the docks and some of the stories I heard in the birthing area, but Skipper... You really do have a reputation as a high flyer. Everything I've seen since has only reinforced that. Thank you, Ms. Arione. It's just the truth, Skipper. A lot of people thought you'd crash and burn when you got a ship of your own. I remember some of the betting. What did you say, Ms. Arione? About the betting, sir. No, crash and burn. Oh, it's just a saying, sir. Sometimes when a first mate gets his ticket and takes off on his own for the first time, he gets a little carried away and it all comes tumbling down. They call it crash. I'm familiar with the phrase, Ms. Arione. Then why did you ask, sir? Because of something that Mr. Simpson said just before I left his office. What was that, sir? Spread your wings and fly, Ms. Arion. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. Mm-hmm.